Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Hello and welcome to our newest episode of Literary Quest. Today's episode will be covering Red Queen by Victoria Aveyard. We're super excited about it. I'm going to go ahead and get started with our characters and our uh, new locations. Since this is the start of a new series, we have a lot of new characters to introduce and new places to discuss. Um, I will make a note. In this book, in this series, people are divided based on the type of blood that they have. So there are characters who are uh, who have silver blood, and there are people who have red blood, and that, that's a dividing factor within their society. So uh, silver, silver-blooded people are considered like the society's elite people. They're regarded as almost godlike with respect and awe and fear, and people who have red blood in general hate the people who have silver blood. Their silver blood grants them superhuman abilities. So there are people who are called strong arms, who are super strong. They have superhuman strength. There are people who are called greenies, who can cause plant life to flourish. There are burners who are able to wield fire and whispers who are able to um, tap into people's minds and control them and harm them. So, um, in this world, silvers are considered more affluent, um, whereas the people who have red blood are considered like lower class in this society. So reds are going to be like the working class people. Their lives are considered just innately less valuable because they have red blood. They don't have super superhuman abilities because of that, and they are much more likely to die in the war or to serve in like servant roles. Um, When reds turn 18, they're required to sign up to conscript. So they're required to sign up to serve in the war effort unless they can find an apprenticeship or a job doing an essential service. So um, that's just a little bit of an explanation for the different, the differentiations between people who have red blood, silver blood, and how that, that kind of manifests in their society. So with that in mind, I'm going to talk about our characters, and I've divided them between reds and silvers. So to start with some of our reds, our red characters, we have our heroine, whose name is Mare Barrow. She is 17, going on 18. She is skilled at thieving, but not much else. She doesn't have an apprenticeship. She's not good at school. Uh, and with the, at the start of our book, she's planning to be conscripted into the army when she turns 18. Mayor and her family are all reds, and she is described as having brown hair that has whitened at the end, for, at the ends from the stress of living in the stilts, which is really common among people who live in the stilts. Mayor lives with her family, so she has three brothers. They are Shade, who is the closest to her. Um, he's the the first, or the closest to her in age. He's an older brother. Um, 
and he is her favorite brother. He's the only one that can read or write. Next is Trammy, who's the second eldest brother, and we don't find out a whole lot about him in this book. And then her oldest brother is Bree, Bree who has a reputation as a player. When he was conscripted for the war, he joked about it being a relief uh, to escape all of the women who wanted to harm him. Her parents are Daniel and Ruth Barrow. Her father was sent to the war and was discharged from the army after he lost a leg and a lung, so he is wheelchair bound. And her mother, Ruth, really serves as the cornerstone for the family. And then she has one sister who is younger. Her name is Gisa, and she is 14. She uniquely has red hair and is apprenticed to, to a seamstress. And Gisa carries the hope of the family on her shoulders, so she will eventually become their, their primary breadwinner. Mayor's best friend is named Killorn Warren, Warren um, and he was apprenticed to a fisherman. His father was killed in the war, and his mother abandoned him afterwards, and so he was taken in and fed by Mayor's family. And then we have Farley, who is the leader of the Scarlet Guard, which is a rebellion group for the Reds who were fighting for equality between the Silvers and the Reds, which brings us to the Silvers. So we'll start with our royal family within the Silvers. We have King Tiberius Kalor VI, who is the current leader of Norta, which is where our story takes place. He's described as being muscular and broad-shouldered, having dark black hair with flecks of gray, and having a thirst for warfare. He has two children named Cal and Maven. His first wife, who was Cal's mother, was named Corianne, and his current wife is Ilara. The king is a burner, so he can wield fire. His current wife, Queen Ilara Mirandis, is a whisper, so her ability allows her to crack into people's minds, to read their thoughts, to control actions. She is uh, pretty devious and scheming and she is the mother to maven who is the second son of king tiberius and then we have tiberius kalor the seventh or cal for short which is the, the eldest son of king tiberius and his mother who is queen corianne the first queen um was his queen corianne was his mother um she uh died by suicide when he was a baby. Um, Cal is destined to be the king of Norta. He is 19 and like his father, he is also a burner, though he is super strong and a very skilled fighter. He's described as being built like a soldier, having bronze eyes and dark hair, and he is also very kind. We have Maven Kalor, who is the second son to King Tiberius. Maven is also a burner. He is 17 and he often feels burdened with living under the shadow of his brother. He's not as skilled at fighting or warfare as Cal is, but he does have a knack for politics and interacting with people. So that's our royal family. Other silvers that we have include Evangeline Samos, who is identified as a magnetron, so she's able to wield metal. She uh, eventually becomes betrothed to Cal, so she becomes his fiance, and she wears a lot of metallic clothing. She is super strong and a little scary. 
and she has been raised her whole life with the intent to marry Prince Cal. Her brother's named Ptolemus, and they are very close. And then we also have Julian Jacobs, who's, uh, who is Cal's uncle. So his sister was the first queen. Julian is a, a scholar, and he is one of Mayor's teachers who helps her to learn more about her abilities and the history of the Silvers. He loves books and reading, and um, he is a singer. So his ability allows him to use his voice to compel people. So those are the majority of our, our new main characters. Let's talk about our locations next. So this book is set in Norta, which is the region um, in our story that borders the Lakelands. So the territory of Norta is at war with the Lakelands and has been at war with them for nearly a century. Within Norta, we have the Stilts, which is a, a red village where our story begins and where Mare comes from. It is situated along the Capital River and it's called the Stilts because all of its houses and buildings are built off the ground on stilts for when the river next to it rises. 10 miles away from the Stilts, we have Summerton, which is a silver city populated by silvers. And it's home to the Hall of the Sun, which is the palace at which the royal family stays during the summer. The palace is made of diamond glass, which is uh, diamonds that have been forged. So they've been heated to the point where they can be shaped into walls, which is a really strong and sturdy material. And then we also have Archeon, which is the capital city of Norta and home to the primary residence for the royals which is Whitefire Castle. Whitefire Castle is described as being made of stone and carved wood instead of diamond glass. And even here, the silvers are divided among themselves. So in Archeon, it's divided into an east and a west side. And so the nobles live on the west side of the town and the common silvers live on the east side of town. So those are our new characters and our new locations. Vicki, do you want to take over with the plot? Let's do it. So our book opens from the perspective of a female pickpocketer. She's describing the poor village that she lives in and explaining the way of life in a world where silver bloods rule and red bloods are seen as inferior. It's explained that if red bloods do not have jobs or are apprenticed by the time they are 18, they get conscripted into the army. It's noted that she has several brothers who were sent to war this way. We are introduced to her best friend, Killorn, where she oh, who she saved from starvation as a young child. They're headed to First Friday together. First Friday is a sort of gladiator fight between Silvers that are done as a reminder to the Reds of how strong Silver Bloods are. Our main character, whose name we learn is Mare, is disgusted by these fights, not just for the violence, but because of what they represent. After the fight, she returns home and we learn that she has a younger sister, Gisha, who is apprenticed and is a very good seamstress. seamstress. She is so good that they are hopeful that she will one day open her own store and be able to support her family and save her brothers by giving them jobs in the shop. After dinner, Killorn shows up and tells, her that his, and tells her that his master died and he is no longer an apprentice. He will be sent to war. Mare is distraught over this and comes up with a plan to use the black market to smuggle both of them out of the village. She meets with Will, a tradesman who is also part of the black market, and is introduced to Farley. 
We learn that Farley is part of something called the Scarlet Guard and that she will help them escape, but for a large price. Mayor has an idea on how to raise the money. She goes with her sister into the town where she works with Silvers and plans to pickpocket or steal an item worth enough to get her out. However, while they're there, a news broadcast comes on that there was a terrorist attack on the capital. At first, the Silvers assume it is an attack by their foreign enemies. However, the attack is soon claimed by the Scarlet Guard, who are now considered terrorists. Farley appears on screen and announces that the Scarlet Guard intends to ensure equality for all people, starting with the Reds. Chaos breaks out and the Silvers begin attacking any Reds nearby. Mare flees and meets up with her sister. Her sister asks if Mare got enough to save her and her friend, however, Mare tells her that she was unable to. In a desperate attempt to help, her sister attempts to pickpocket someone. She is caught and the punishment is to be shot through her sewing hand. Mare is racked with guilt and she spends the night pickpocketing people. At one point, she pickpockets a man who is surprised by her audacity and gives her some money. He introduces himself as Cal and asks her to tell him about her life. She tells him about her awful day while they walk. The next morning, the family is woken up to the sound of another search and seizure. However, it turns out it's a royal summons for Mare to go to Somerton. Mare to go to Somerton. Mare believes she is in trouble for knowing Farley, but when she arrives, she is told that she is now employed by the king. We learn that it is a special day because it is the start of Queen's trial. The daughters of the high houses will show off their powers in an attempt to be picked to marry the prince. The royal family is introduced, and we learn that the man from the previous night is actually the prince. During one of the demonstration, a girl manages to make the entire building move, which causes Mer to fall. She thinks she's going to be electrocuted and killed by the force field, but instead she is fine and is able to defend herself with electricity. It turns out that despite having red blood, she has abilities like the Silvers do. The king orders her to be captured. She runs, but is caught by Cal. When she wakes up, she finds that the queen is forcing herself into her mind. The queen is a whisperer and able to read people's mind and get them to do whatever she wants. The royal family decides to hide Mare in plain sight. She will be Maven's fiance and the lost daughter of a war hero. In exchange, the king agrees to return her brothers from war and save Killorn from conscription. A little while later, the royal family makes a show of Maven proposing to Mare and Cal proposing to Evangeline. Maven apologizes to Mare for having a poor reaction to finding out they would be married because he thought as a second son, he would have a choice in who he could marry. She finds herself feeling badly for Maven until she remembers who he is, what he stands for, and what his family has done. Mare is given a schedule to follow. She has protocol and lessons every day. She will learn all the names of the houses and proper etiquette during protocol, and during lessons, she will learn how to control her powers. Her lessons are with Julian, who turns out to be Cal's uncle. Through Julian, we learn that Cal and Maven are half-siblings, and that Cal's mother was likely killed by Maven's mother, the current queen. After lessons, she has lunch with people from the high houses. She is often uncomfortable as she is made fun of and her previous way of life is mocked. She is forced to go along with awful rumors regarding red life. Through these lunches, we learn that the royal family has been covering up additional terrorist attacks by the Scarlet Guard under the guise of accidents and training exercises. Mare and Maven begin to grow closer after he finds her outside upset. He tells her that she, he understands the feeling of not fitting in because he is always compared to Cal. He also states that he disagrees with his father and Cal's policies regarding Reds and thinks that Reds should be equal. 
Maven takes Mare to see Cal so that Cal can sneak her out to visit her family. During the visit, Mare learns that her favorite brother, Shade, has been executed for desertion. She begins to lose control of her powers. Now her family and Killern knows that she is different. They promise not to say anything, but Killern is very angry. Mare tells Cal that she needs to make one last stop. She visits Will and asks to join the Scarlet Guard. He introduces her to Tristan, who accepts her into the guard. Cal and Mare head back, and he tells her that he should be training with the rest of the Silvers and that he will discuss the matter with his mother. Mare joins in the regular training session and bonds with Maven during this time. Mare is slipped a note telling her to be ready at midnight. She sneaks out and meets with Farley. To her surprise, they are joined by another new recruit, Maven. At first, she's terrified because she thinks she has been found out and will be killed. But Maven states that he wants to help the cause because he strongly disagrees with his father and brother. They come up with a plan to attack during an upcoming ball. During one of the training sessions, Mare speaks with Cal about how awful she is at dancing, and they laugh together. During that same session, Silvers begin to challenge each other and spar. Mare is challenged by Cal's fiance, and while Cal and Maven are both against this, Mare has no choice but to go along with it. She ends up being cut and having to quickly hide her red blood. She's taken to Julian, who calls a healer named Sarah to help. It's explained that Sarah had her tongue cut out by the queen when she challenged her regarding Cal's mother's death. While Maven and Mare are walking back after leaving Julian and Sarah, they run into the queen, who makes rude remarks to Mare. Mare quips back that the queen dislikes this and mentally attacks Mare. Maven begs his mother to let Mare go. One day at lunch, Mare learns that Cal has created a Silver Legion that will be going to war as Reds in order to surprise the enemy. Mare learns that Cal will be going as well and will be leaving the Legion. That night, Cal shows up at Mare's door and takes her to learn to dance. When Mare returns, she finds Maven in her room who tells her that he met with Farley and gave her the names of four people to attack during the ball. At one of her next lessons, Julian tells Mare that she needs to be careful of Maven. She laughs this off, but Julian tells her that Maven is very much his mother's son. When Mare disagrees, Julian attempts to explain that there's a much larger game going on and Mare cannot trust anyone. Cal returns to Mare's room to take her dancing again. He tells her that he will miss her when he leaves and they share a passionate kiss. The night of the ball arrives. Mare is having trouble keeping calm, but Maven helps her. After the royals kick off the ball with a dance, Mare uses her power to turn the electricity off. The Scarlet Guard use this time to attack. There are gunshots and the sound of an explosion. After the attack, several Guard members, including Farley and Killorn, are captured. Cal asks Mare directly about her friend. She lies and tell him, tells him that she got him a job in order to save him from dangerous work. Cal attempts to torture the Guard members, but Maven convinces Cal to deal with it another time. That night, Julian and Mare managed to break the Scarlet Guard members out of prison. The next day, it is announced that they will be leaving for the capital and that Cal will not be going to fight in the war. She also learns that Julian will not be joining them, but he gives her a book as a parting gift. On their way to the capital, Mare and Maven share a kiss that Cal ends up witnessing. When they arrive at the capital, Mare is given a speech to read. She is forced to announce that there is now a curfew in place, security will be doubled, and the conscription age would be lowered to 15 years. When Mare is alone, she takes out the book she was given by Julian and finds that he left a secret message. She learns that using her blood sample, Julian found a mutation and was able to find many more reds with that mutation, 
indicating that there are other people like her. Soon, Mare and Maven are given a message to meet with the Scarlet Guard. They are taken south. Maven is distressed by this because the south is known for being dangerous due to radiation. However, Farley explains that the machines used to measure radiation are built by Reds and were built specifically to trick the Silvers into thinking radiation levels were still high. Mare tells Farley about the list and suggests that they look for these people. Maven says that there will not be enough time and instead suggests a coup. Maven tells Mare that if Cal has to choose between his country and her, that he would choose her. When they get back to the capital, Mare speaks with Cal and heavily implies that if things were different, they could be together. During the night, the Scarlet Guard stages its coup. Mare gets Cal's attention and begs him to help her overthrow the government. He refuses to help Mare and the Scarlet Guard. Mare is betrayed. She is arrested, and while being questioned, the king is killed. Mare is in prison and finds out that her fate will be to die while fighting several well-trained silvers. However, she is saved by the Scarlet Guard. So we're going to start our next section now. As usual, this will contain spoilers. So if you are not interested in hearing spoilers and you want to finish the book first, then you can pick, us, pick up with us at another time. Otherwise, you can keep on listening. Can we talk about how if we weren't reading this series with all of these books out, you would lose your mind? <laughs> I would. <laughs> it would be like a year of Vicky <laughs> just periodically texting, I want to know what's going to happen. <laughs> it's true. The cliffhangers leave me or keep me up at night Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. Mm-hmm. So how did you feel about Mayor when the book opened? Um, I wasn't a huge fan of her. I mean, even really throughout the book, I didn't find her anything super spectacular. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that she gets better now that she's figured out her powers and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I mean, she started off, you know, as a pickpocketer, which, you know, okay, that's your, that's your life. You know, you struggle. Mm-hmm. But yeah, overall, I didn't find her anything extraordinary. Yeah. I didn't love her at first. I still don't really love her. I like her a lot better now than I did at the beginning of the book. But I found myself frustrated with her pretty frequently. She's so, for someone who steals from people, you know, <laughs> as a way to make money, she's awfully, like, trusting of others once she gets to uh, the Silver Palace. I know, which is when she should be even more distrustful. Yeah, she should be super wary of everybody. But Mm -hmm. no, it's like she's so desperate to be accepted maybe or probably just to not be alone that as soon as someone is nice to her, it's like as soon as someone's nice to her, she just falls in. Mm -hmm. No, you never trust the first person that's nice to you. Mm -hmm in these books. I don't think that applies to real life, but (laughs) (laughs) if you find yourself as the main character in a book, don't trust anyone. That's right. Really friendly males be suspicious. (laughs) I mean, that that kind of applies to life too. Yeah, that does. You're right. That does apply. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We both mentioned this, got some hunger game vibes. Yeah. Out of this. Yes. So I, I felt not like it. <laughs> made you not like it. Yeah. 
I felt it all the way through, though. There were just oh, really? moments that kept reminding me of the Hunger Games. Yeah. Um, which is fine. I didn't mind. I like. I liked the Hunger Games. It was fine. Um, I liked the movies mainly because mm. of um, I had a crush on Woody Harrelson. Um, oh, Woody! <laughs> Woody Harrelson. <laughs> I don't know why. Not the Hemsworth? <laughs> no. Nope. The alcoholic. <laughs> God loves some alcoholic broken men. Oh, yeah. It's me. Well, okay. I didn't like the Hunger Games. And because of that, I didn't immediately enjoy this book. It took me about 100 pages before I was like, okay, I'll keep doing this into it pretty quickly it didn't take me that long I think it took me that long so I don't know I mean I did try to start this book like 10 times yeah or um so I guess it did take me a while to get into it but Mm -hmm. um, yeah yeah once I got into it I was like super invested though until I got to like the climax so I, I coined a new term while I was reading this book. It's called climax anxiety. It's when you know all the things are about to happen and you're so invested that you just can't handle it. So like I had to put the book down and start another book <laughs> and come back to this one like a day later. <laughs> I was so stressed out. Yeah, I was also stressed out, but I went the other way and just read it all in one day, in one night. And then hated the ending so I started the next book and needed to know what happened so did the one thing I hate doing looked up spoilers um and went to bed at three o'clock and then passed out at 8 p.m the next night (laughs) we have our different ways of coping we do we cope very differently I think it's so funny that you went in search of spoilers that is very like that's an unvicky. You don't like spoilers. I love spoilers. And I, I got spoilers without trying. I was looking stuff up and was like, whoa, okay. Guess I can start emotionally preparing for that. Great. Let's talk about Mare's relationship with Killarn. Did you like him? No, not at all. Yeah, I didn't. Not know. at all. So, but I also didn't like their relationship because he, she was like, um, Because it's mentioned that she saved him from starvation when he was Mm -hmm. a kid, right? Yeah. But I feel like she keeps throwing that back at him. Like, I saved you and now you're going to, like, waste your life joining the Scarlet Guard? Mm -hmm. It's his life. Mm -hmm. He doesn't owe you, you know? Yeah. That's how I felt with him. And it's not her obligation to save him. He's a grown man. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Grown-ish. He's 18. 18. He's a grown man. He can make decisions for himself, just like she can make decisions for herself. So, yeah, that bothered me. So one of my favorite scenes, sort of, is when chaos breaks out after the first announcement of a terrorist attack. Mm -hmm. Because we get to see so many of the different powers on display. It's also horrible because, you know, one of them's drowning like somebody using the water and all mm-hmm. these horrible things are happening. But it was one of the first times to see like power on display, which mm-hmm. I thought was cool. And also to see how quickly and easily people can just turn around. Like they start killing each other right away. Mm-hmm. How quickly that happened. Yeah. 
And then her poor sister. Oh, yeah. Visa. Mm-hmm. Gets her hand broken. I can't imagine how devastated she must have felt. And her parents. And the weight on her shoulders in the first place. 14 mm-hmm. apprenticed and expected to be the primary breadwinner for a family of five, six, seven. Yeah. For a family mm-hmm. of seven at 14. And then to have your hand broken, the thing that allows you to do your job. And suddenly you're not that anymore. And who's going to take care of your family now? She must have been devastated. And then Mayor can't face her family. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, makes sense. I would probably run away, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how she meets Cal. So. That is, yeah. I think it's so funny that she, like, word vomits on him. Yes. <laughs> he, he catches her pickpocketing, and she just spills her entire story for him. I love that at first. He's surprised, and he goes, you're stealing from me. And she's like, obviously. Yeah. This line. Yeah. No denying it at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, that was great. Mm-hmm. The Queen's Trial. Yeah. I love that. I would love I to too. see that. Yeah, I loved the description of all of the different um, uh, powers and stuff. I thought that was great. Yeah. If you were going to pick a power, what power would you pick? Whisper. Ooh. What about you? Probably a greenie. Mm. I would love to be able to grow stuff. I'm terrible with plants. So, see if I was a whisperer, I could just control a greenie to grow the plants for you me. Could. Yeah. So you messaged me that it, you there. So one of the the people participating was like 12. Yes. Yeah. I know. I texted you. I said I know it's fictional, but this seems a little young <laughs> to be trying to marry a prince. Luckily, I think the one he went with was Evangeline. I think she was only, what, 15 or something, did they say? How old was she? Oh, she was like 17, I think. Oh, was she? she okay. Yeah, she was pretty close in age to him, I think. So, I didn't totally get why Evangeline was so hateful towards Mare. Yeah. You know, it was like she had it in for her so badly when, you know, you're marrying the prince. Mm-hmm come on, you you won. Why are you still picking a fight? Right. Do you think it might be because Mayor kind of stole her thunder? Maybe. I could see that, but still, she won. She so. did win. Maybe that's, well, even her cousin, Lucas, says she's awful, so... Maybe that's just her personality. Maybe that's the way that she's raised. It seems like, so the end, like even with this, this, the queen's trial with the, the Friday, the first Friday thing that they make the reds go to, there's a, with the, the silvers, it seems like they're big on displays of power, kind of like asserting their dominance. And in the queen's trial, they talk about how, uh, there's, there's really no contest with Evangeline. She, you know, she's predicted and expected to win this. So I wonder if it's probably just been like part of her breeding for her whole life to be like dominant and display power constantly and to kind of view everyone else as a potential threat, which yeah. I don't think that Cal does a great job hiding that he has feelings for Mayor. 
So she would perceive her as a threat, even if she's not, you know, attached to Cal. Mare's like a threat to her position from that. So did you picture, they describe them as spiders. Yeah, the monsters or the the creatures that she manipulates when. Yeah, uh, so is she turning metal pieces into spiders? Spiders, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I had a, yeah. I had this weird, um, I guess it wasn't weird. It was the image they created of just like metal bits skittering along the floor. Mm. Yeah. That was what I pictured. So I picture in the second episode of um, Doctor Who, the the newest, the new renditions of Doctor Who, second episode where Chris Eccleston is the doctor. um, They go, they go to see the, the death of earth in this, alien body infiltrates the spaceship that they're on and they have these murderous spider robots thing, robot things. And that's Mm -hmm. what I pictured. You know, it's funny talking about Dr. Who I pictured for her teacher, the, who taught her protocol, the Mm -hmm. stretched out skin. Mm. Cassandra. Yeah. Yeah. Moisturize me. (laughs) Yes. Yes. That is perfect imaging. Because yeah, it talks about her, her skin being pulled taut. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Ooh, that's good. Did you read the book 1984? Of course. Did you get 1984 vibes when they talked about all of the cameras all over the place? A little bit. I can see where that would come from. Yeah. Yeah. I got 1984 vibes. thought it was a really creepy that they put like video cameras in her bedroom. Mm-hmm. That's super invasive. Yeah. I would never be okay then. How does she manage to like get herself dressed and stuff without thinking, oh, well, I suppose there are people coming in and dressing her anyway. Yeah. But think about all of the unconscious things you do in the privacy of your bedroom that would suddenly be very like picking your nose. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Suddenly everyone can see that. I like that she can detect that they're there too. Like Cal. Yeah says something to her like she's like why are there cameras in my room he's like I don't see any cameras there's not cameras in here like fool there are mm-hmm. yeah I think that's a really interesting aspect to her power too she can control just all electricity it also explains sort of why she didn't know about her powers until so like took her so long to know about her powers because it's triggered by electricity and it's said that they don't really have that much and they have to get like sheets of paper or whatever right basically Mm -hmm. to feed in and get electricity Mm -hmm. and there is um there is one moment that's described where she's there their electricity went out and she manages to like start it up again but other than that she's not exposed to electricity like that Mm -hmm. on these on the scale and i think she mentioned something about getting headaches at first as well yeah from the electrical exposure yeah. One description that I really like in the book, though, is because their blood is silver. They blush silver or white. Yeah. Sort of. I like that description. Yeah. Although I would also find that very disturbing if that happened in front of me. Yeah. I would imagine that'd be such, it's a, I guess their face just pales, right? Yeah. Oh, so her relationship with Cal, I have a lot of feelings about this. How do you feel about it? I feel conflicted. I think it's pretty obvious from the start that Cal is really into her. And I don't think he is 
um, I don't, he doesn't hide it very well. And I don't think he's really deceptive about it. And it bothers me how much she manipulates him and rejects him because she's being manipulated by Maven. Right. Yeah. Your feelings? I, I feel bad for him. I, yeah, basically the same as yours, but I felt so bad because she was always so ready to attack him, which mm-hmm. I get in a sense because his family is in part responsible for the oppression of the reds and they're mm-hmm. you know being sent as pawns yep to their deaths and stuff but he also clearly feels badly about it and yeah. i feel like maybe she could tone it down a bit yeah um just because he clearly likes her and then he looks to her for support in some mm-hmm. cases too so i just felt bad for him for the whole yeah. thing and then yeah well, and he does things because of her. So when he creates that legion of silvers to go in, pretend to be reds to fight on the front so they can make a bigger impact on the war effort. And she's like super disgusted and bothered by it because she doesn't like, she doesn't under understand why um, he's doing this. And she's, he's like, I, I'm doing this because of you, I'm doing this because you inspired me. It's like, yeah, sister. There's all kinds of signs that indicate, like he kisses her. He teaches her how to dance. He's pretty, I feel like open with her. He is. I mean, to the best of what he's able to share with his position. Yeah, he is. And although, although he is open with her, I never felt like he went so far as to ever think that he would choose uh, mare over his country. No. Ever. So how she got tricked into thinking he loves her so much. Yes. No, he taught you how to dance and kissed you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. But that was, it her, back. that was her being manipulated by Maven though, which is so frustrating to me because Julia tells her anyone can betray anyone. And she says that to herself repeatedly. Anyone can betray anyone. And in that entire time, she never questions the possibility of Maven betraying her. Why? I don't, I don't know. Why are you like this? You're saying it to yourself. Anyone can betray anyone. It never crossed your mind that Maven would betray you. And like, girl, you're probably kind of okay. But do you really think this boy, man, who's going to be the king who reveres and respects his father is going to give up his whole life mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. I mean, she hasn't even been around that long. No. So I feel like she would have had a better chance of success if she had been nicer to him and gently pushed him, you know, using her words mm-hmm. in the direction of, you know, equality mm-hmm. versus staging a coup and being like join me yeah it's too aggressive yeah that's <laughs> just a bit too she much needed to ease into it a little bit instead of just <laughs> blowing up a bridge and saying cow let's do this together like, <laughs> there was nothing there girl he, especially because not that long before that he even had said that he would like kill or try his uncle right yeah Julian so what that's his uncle that's Mm -hmm. his only connection left to his mother only blood connection left to his mother 
And he's told her that, yep, he would, if Julian was caught, he would try him. Yeah. And she's yeah. thinking something real special. Yeah. I wish we saw more of Cal's personality. Because mm-hmm. even in the book, this is why it just blows my mind that she was so ready to accept that Cal was in love with her. We, he's not in it that much. Yeah. Really? She doesn't have very many one-on-one scenes with him. Mm-hmm. We don't learn too much about him personally, anything really about his personality, other than we know he's somewhat uncomfortable with the situation with the Reds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but how does he feel about having to be the next king? And how does he feel about being forced to marry someone he doesn't want to marry? Mm-hmm. We don't know any of that. They have no emotional development with each other like no emotional connection really Mm -hmm. except when he teaches her to dance yes there's a little connection there right yeah i agree though there's not a lot of like emotional development between them not enough to suggest that he would give up his entire kingdom for her and her cause i would like to know what farley's perspective on that situation would be as well because even like she's doubtful so she says what one of our favorite quotes when mayor and maven go to the town that the reds have taken over and they're making their plans to have this coup farley says you want me to pin my entire operation this entire revolution on some teenage love story and it's like yes apparently so like how ridiculous does that sound (laughs) i wonder if she was thinking like this is not this is not going to work. She obviously had some reservations about it. Yeah. But she went along with it. She went along with it. I wonder if just in, well, obviously in the back of her mind, she was maybe thinking, "Mm, there's a good chance this is going to fail because she wouldn't bring her soldiers out when Mare was on the bridge getting ready to stage this coup and the bridge is going to explode. So obviously she had some doubts and she says, uh, what does she say? She says she's not convinced of Mayor's flirtatious abilities to save the kingdom or something. Yeah. That's a smart woman. Mm-hmm. The other thing that was really naive of them. So even Farley just trusting Maven so quickly. Now mm-hmm. she's shown him all of their place. Well, not all of their places, but you know, a bunch of their hideouts, you know, some of their secrets. Even if like you did trust someone. Don't trust them that much. No. Why are you trusting them that much? You've known them Mm-mm. like a week. No. Don't give them secrets. No. Although I do love how tricky the Reds are in terms of the, because they're techies, right? Some of the mm-hmm. things that the techies purposely manipulate things to keep silvers out of the loop, and, like with the radiation. Mm-hmm. I love that. It reminds me of something else about how the working poor like actually control mm-hmm. and actually have the power to control mm-hmm. the population or life because it's true they control things like that they mm-hmm. control everything that runs all the electricity all of that yeah and the silvers are more at their mercy than they realize mm-hmm. yeah yeah there's a really good line in that part so I think it's Maven says, well, the radiation readers all say this. And Farley's like, who makes the radiation readers? The Reds do. 
let's talk about how mayor has like almost no skills my God, right? At the beginning of this book, she's not good at school. She's not going to be an apprentice. She doesn't seem to respond well to authority. So like thieving is her only skill. So I like that Julian is so helpful in developing her skills and teaching her about like the real history with the Silvers and helping her to learn in a way that she's able to connect with because she says before, you know, she wasn't ever good at school. So he's able to help her in a way that she can actually connect with, which is great. And I love that even though oh, she doesn't listen to him, I love that he tries to help her, empower her and warn her about trusting people within their kingdom, about not just blindly trusting Maven, which she doesn't listen to. And even Julian betrays her a little bit, you know, he takes, well, he doesn't, he just doesn't keep her in the loop of what he's doing for everything. And then she, here's the thing. She manipulates him into helping her, Mm -hmm. right. Uh, Get her or have her friends escape. And he didn't want to at first. And then she's like, well, fine, I guess just let them kill me. Mm Mm-hmm. And he helps her. Yeah. And, yeah. He left such is such an obvious telltale sign, you know, that he left. How many people can he's a singer, he's a singer. Mm-hmm. How many people can do that? And who's he close to in the castle? How they did not figure well, I guess they knew what was happening. Mm-hmm. But I'm surprised Cal didn't even put it together. So one of the quotes that they say that I like. So when Julian explains Mare's uh genetic mutation to her. And that she's mm-hmm. not alone and he's found a ton of other people in their blood bank who have the same mutation. He, in his letter, he writes her a note that says, you are red and silver and stronger than both. I like that. Yes. That's a good, I like that. So the reds don't have any superpowers. The silvers can't create their powers from nowhere. They have to, like the burners, they have to have like a flint thing, something that the nips, they can't just generate water from no water they have to pull it from the air or from a water source they have to have some type of base material to work with and mayor doesn't <laughs> she can make something from nothing which is really unique i make mayor give that speech and she's dying inside and cal gives her he kind of pushes at her about the need for these measures that they're instituting that increased uh, the new restrictions on curfew and punishing people with death if they're out after curfew. And I love when she starts to push back at him, like, because it, it really, you know, he may venture out into the village with the Reds, but he really doesn't have a good understanding what life for the Reds is like. And mm-hmm. so I like that. And this is, you know, one of those opportunities where she has her position as a red, she can use that to educate, to share a little bit more about what their life is like. She needed more moments like that before she tried to get him to betray his entire lifestyle. I think the moment you're talking about is one of my favorite quotes. Um, their methods are your own fault. You make us work, you make us bleed, you make us die for your wars and factories and the little comforts you don't even notice, all because we are different. How can you expect us to let that stand? Yeah. Is that what you're talking about? Yes. These are my favorite quotes. Yeah, that's a really good scene. Uh, mm-hmm. She just, she needed more opportunities like that to help enlighten him 
-hmm. about what the situation is like before she tried to convince him to turn against his father. Did you think that Maven was going to betray them from the beginning? I knew something was up because there was no way it was going to be that easy. Right. So I knew something was up, but I wasn't, I wasn't uh, really expecting that level of it. I thought maybe he'd throw her under the bus and be like, oh, she tricked me. Not, you know, how he orchestrated everything like that. You know? Yeah. Yes. He and his mother, their love, like the degree of scheming that they've done to bring about Maven's rise to power. It's pretty admirable. It's awful. Mm-hmm. What happens to the king is terrible, but it's pretty impressive all of the scheming that they've done to yeah. get him to rise to power. I mean, she was really playing the long game there. Yeah. She, like, for real. She... Like the 17 year long game. <laughs> <laughs> Longer? How long were they married? Longer. Her? Yeah. Well, right? I she mean, had to she... kill the first queen. Yeah. Kill, kill the first queen, get pregnant, make sure she had a boy raise the child <laughs> to 17 and then managed to take out both the king and then his next uh, his other competition his brother in one go along with getting mayor you know yeah it's just so cruel what the queen does to cal poor cow yeah. poor cow him, i was gonna say forcing him to cut off his dad's head yeah it's just awful. That's brutal. Yeah, it's pretty. Oh, and his dad pleading with his son as he's like, you know, and being forced to. His dad's like, I know it's not you. I know you don't want to do this. <laughs> oh, mm-hmm. oh, that was such a hard scene. It was. I felt for. I felt for both of them. When the day comes for them to start the coup. And she says, Cal will not let me die, nor will Maven. They are my shields. Ooh, girl. Mm-mm. No. Don't, don't, don't let other men be your shields. You need to be your own shield. Like, the, <laughs> this is not the time for this. You cannot. <laughs> anyone can betray anyone. <laughs> Do not let other people be your shield. But she does. And it ruins her life, so. Oh, bless her heart. Yeah. Yeah, I read that and was like, you are putting way too much faith in other people. Yep. Like, way too much faith in other people. And you're in hostile, like, territory. They don't like you, really, yeah. in general. Mm-mm. Um, they are not your shields. Although, I do they like They are your downfall. They are. Well, Cal is still protective of her until, you know, once... They both get arrested and thrown in jail and then have to fight either way out. Mm-hmm. He's still like, oh, stay behind me as long as you can and run. And he was like comforting to her sort of in jail. He's just, a, he's a sweetheart. Well, yeah, that's after they're both sentenced to death, though. Even when she confronts him and is like, uh, join us. He's like, mm, no, arrested, takes to the father. Dad's like, well... I guess we have to execute Maven and for sure they're going to execute her because they've committed treason. 
Cal's morals and principles are only going to carry him so far. And then when they're both sentenced to death, he's like, stay behind me. I'll protect you the best I can. But at that point, they're both in danger of dying. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about Cal, though, right? I feel like if he had the power to protect her and not kill her for treason at all, he would Mm -hmm. have. Right? Because that's different than just being completely turning over his entire country. Right? Or kingdom. You know? If he had some sway to be like, oh, no, let's not do that. (laughs) Let's not, you know, kill my brother and this girl I'm crushing on. Yeah. But he doesn't really, his hands were pretty tied there for that one. I guess if he was king, he could have pardoned them, but he wasn't. Yeah. So, kind of. But what kind of king, I mean, but what kind of king pardons someone who openly commits treason? A weak king. But Maven said that they've been waiting for a weak king to take over for a long time. Exactly. So, he would, you know, he would have been weak anyway. Yeah. So when Maven comes to see Cal and Mare after he's imprisoned them and he tries to get Mare to come over to his side, he says, I can still make you a queen. She professes her love for him, which honestly kind of shocked me that she developed feelings that were so strong for Maven when she already had really strong feelings for Cal too. But she professes her love for him and that she wanted to, you know, she believed in him. And then she rejects his offer to be his queen. And he says, so you're choosing Cal. And she says, I'm not choosing him. I'm not choosing you. I'm not, I'm choosing no one. It's like, okay, finally, we're getting, we're, we're getting somewhere with you, Mayor. <laughs> Let's just get to maybe I choose me. I was expecting that. Yeah. <laughs> but she just went with no one. She's right. no one, not even myself, but that's better than choosing a man in this situation. So. <laughs> that's true. I did not feel the love between them either. Yeah. I didn't. Um, there was... I was really surprised when she professed her love for him. Yeah. I I didn't get that vibe. I mean, I didn't even get that strong of a vibe from her with Cal. Yeah. Though, neither one of those relationships screamed love. Yeah. You know, there was better chemistry with her and Cal than there was with her and Maven. Yeah. What did you think at the, well, near the end, when he goes to visit uh, Cal and Mare in prison, and she says something along the lines of, it looked like his eyes were wet as if the weight of what he had just done was really hitting him. Do you think she was just misinterpreting what she saw? Or do you think it was, like, do you think that's what she actually saw or she was reading him wrong? Because now, obviously, you can't trust anything that comes out of this, in her narration. Yeah. Clearly cannot read anyone. Like, so I find it hard to believe that he's really having that, like, strong emotions where he's almost Mm going to cry. Yeah. Definitely does not seem that way. No. I no. I think he's probably manipulating her again. There's dust in my eye. Yeah, I can't see him being bothered about his situation at that point. Right, like at all. Could not see that. So the final showdown. 
I really liked that. And then I liked how she was able to conjure a lightning storm. Yes, that was great. Yeah. She needs to learn how to do that more. Yeah. Got some Zeus vibes there. Oh, and I like how she electrocutes that, the, the water nymph. When he tries to drown her and she's like, mm-mm, you don't put your hands in a lightning storm with water. It's like throwing a toaster in a bathtub. I like that she managed to save Cal at least once, too. Yeah. You know, he's saved her a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. <laughs> she at least gets to return the favor one time. And I like how she's able to dominate Evangeline, finally, and Evangeline runs away from her. Mm-hmm. Smart of Evangeline. Yeah. Go in to run. I thought it was great. I thought, I so I like how, uh, even though, I mean, death is pretty much guaranteed. Cal is still trying to help out Mayor, even though he has no reason to, because she basically ruined his life. And Understatement. Understate, yes. Yeah. Cal is still trying to help keep her alive and even giving her tips like use the advantages that you have. You can run really fast. Just stay out of the way. And then she actually does that and she gets uh, Arvin stabbed uh, mortally, which was fantastic. Yeah. You got to know when to hold them and know when to fold them. So. <laughs> I just also don't understand this whole showdown to another extent because Surely Maven knew that she would use her, well, not use her powers, maybe, but, you know, if that did happen in some way, right, mm-hmm. he should have factored that in, the possibility of that in, because then it exposed her and her powers to everyone. You know, they cut off the feed pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I just, I think that that was definitely a miscalculation. Right, poor planning on his part. Yeah, because you relying on one person to do, like, it's just, what if he had a heart attack? <laughs> What's your backup plan? But he also probably wasn't anticipating her living as long as she did. That's true, but, you know. So, at the end, when they've been rescued by the Scarlet Guard and they're being transported to their home base, basically, um... I feel so, so bad for Cal. Yeah. So, and she said, Mayor says he is tired, he is broken, and he doesn't want to fight anymore. She can just see it in his face. They've got guards on him to keep him from running away. And she's like, you, you really don't need these. He's not going to, like, he's not committed to their cause. Understandably so. Um, but he's not showing any signs of aggression or even any fight i cannot imagine the emotional weight that he must be carrying yeah and how powerless he must feel he's always been the super capable brother the one that's the strongest that can fight super well that has been in the army and is a decorated soldier he's always been like in charge of the situation and he has experienced such a fall from that position and he doesn't have anyone around him that can relate or anyone that he can turn to because at this point he's full okay so he's surrounded by strangers mayor 
I mean, kind of, but it isn't her entire fault that he's in that position to mm-hmm. begin with. It's got he's got to be so lonely and just he needs a therapist. Cause how do you, he must have nightmares? Oh, I'm sure he's probably having an identity crisis. He's always been the strong brother, the successful brother, the one that's going to be king, the one that's revered and looked up to, and has lots of friends and comrades. Now he's nothing. The hard fall. Right. It's like when Thor <laughs> Thor goes from regular Thor to, to fat Thor. <laughs> In one of my favorite quotes, it's right after Mare has faced off with Alara in their in their training uh, arena. And Evangeline wipes the floor with Mare. And Mare gets injured and is bleeding. And there's this big thing to cover her up, to cover up the situation. And she runs into Alara in the hallway. And Alara says, red blood is so hard to clean up. And Mare says, you would know because no matter how hard you try to hide it, I see it all over your hands. <gasps> oh, what a savage in that moment. So much sass, so much snark, so much like in your face with Alara, which is really brave because then Alara like gets into her head and hurts her. But still, that's such a great moment. It is. And I texted you when I got to that point. Yes. And I said, I think I just fell in love with Mare a little bit yep. after that. Because she does have a lot of passion mm-hmm. for her people. Yes. As naive and as many mistakes as she may make, she cares for her people mm-hmm. and wants to help in the rebellion. So I already said one of mine, um, but the other one I have is their silver war is being paid for in red blood. And that combined with the other one that I said earlier, their methods are your own fault. You make us work, you make us bleed, you make us die for your wars. It reminds me, you're going to laugh, of (laughs) Spider-Man. I know you're going to laugh, but here's the thing. And so there's so much about this that I like. So in one of the Spider-Man movies, the vulture, I guess, says something like, you don't get it, the people high up, basically. Um, We build their roads we build their fancy houses we die in their wars also they can make a profit right mm-hmm. and it's the same thing this just sort of speaks i guess towards hierarchy in general you know in most societies it is the little people i guess who are making the world work for everyone else and what happens when they've been oppressed long enough right for too long they're tired of it, they start a revolution, right? And the worst situations that you put them in, I feel the more likely you are to have an eventual rebellion. How long can you expect people to fight your war for your cause, not for them, before they rise up? Mm -hmm. About 100 years, according to this book. Yeah, about 100 years. About 100 years. Thank you for joining us this week when we talked about the Red Queen. We hope you tune in next week. We're going to talk about the Glass Sword, the second in the Red Queen series. We hope you join us next week. Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. 
Thanks again.